you know, I have a confession to make. Um, after being here 13 years and now gone 15 years. By the way, that's, some of you will recognize that. That's kind of an inside joke. I did that for 13 years. We have a clock here now, but my eyes, they don't work as well as they used to. I can't even see that clock. Um, after 13 years of doing this, when they said goodbye to us, some of you that were here, you'll remember, they took like a whole service to make fun of us. And uh, Brent Strawn, I'll never forget it. He got up and he was imitating me. He, was, he had my hand motions and all this. And the first thing he did is this dramatic taking off of the watch and laying it down. And then he said, that is totally meaningless, what I just did right there. <laughs> and he's, he's mostly true. It's totally meaningless. My confession is this, that in all of those years of having multiple services, it was always hard to preach in the back-to-back services. Like this morning, I was supposed to be done at 10.08. That's always hard for me, to be done at like 10.08. But I always, the confession is, I always look forward to the last one. I never confessed that before today. I always look forward to the last one. You know, I felt like finally this message is really coming together. And number two, I don't have to leave out what I think is some really good stuff. So um, I'll start with just some fun stuff that I didn't have a chance to share in the first service. But I can't help but look at some of the couples around here and be reminded of this singles group that God blessed this church with. Um, it was kind of forming and then we were a part of it when we came and, man, some of the couples that are here, uh, I think Peyton's were a part of that group. Fester's were a part of that group. Shoemaker's were a part of that group. I think Romero's were a part of that group. Any other couples that were here that were part of that? I can't see. I see old Clegg's. Yeah, I see uh, back in the back. That, I mean, that to watch these young adults find each other in the life of the church, and now decades later, I mean, their kids are starting to look for Potential spouses. I mean, that that is that is what a wonderful journey. What, what was that? Not not quite. He says, "I'm only junior high, Pastor. What are you saying?" The you know the other is I'm messing with his microphone, and I, I don't speak very many places where I have this kind of fancy microphone anymore. You know, and I'm messing with his microphone. I got all kinds of great memories with uh, Steve Hamilton and Steve Conrad who ran the sound, and they had this sound booth back there that was soundproof. So what they would do is if I left my microphone on, they would crank up my voice only in all the congregational singing. Like this morning, the only thing they would have going in that booth is my voice. And I would kind of look over my shoulder. If I was on the platform, I'd look over there, and you could see them just rolling, laughing. And I had no idea what's going on, except they would tape it and then put it in my inbox. And I would get this anonymous cassette tape back in those days, and I would pop it in the recorder, and it was mortifying. I mean, it was just, I am one of those joyful noise kind of guys. You know, I'm fortunate that God listens to it. And then I'll never forget, we had uh, Earl Lee come and do a special service one time. And Earl Lee, one of my favorite preachers, a mentor of mine, we were in the offices, was just off the uh, outside here. We're in the offices, and I'm putting a microphone like this on him. And I get him all hooked up, and I said, Now, Pastor Lee, here's the off-on switch. Here it's on right now. And I said, If you leave it on, just know that the sound technicians can listen to your conversations. So I, suggest, I said, I, I suggest you leave it off. And I turned it off. 
So we left there, came in here, and he's greeting people. And I turn around, and here's Steve Hamilton in my face. And he's, we do not listen to your conversations. <laughs> and, then the, and then Dorsey Conrad, Steve Conrad's dad, uh, just one of, the, one of the greatest men I've ever pastored. Just such a servant, humble. How many times he'd meet me at the back. He's a head usher. Everybody knew Dorsey back in those days. And he'd meet me at the back after service, just tears streaming down his eyes. God was here today, brother cop. God was here today. Well, he was a retired plumber. And we lived in a house the church owned. And I won't go into all the details, but I tried to do some plumbing on a couple of the bathroom sinks. And I could not repair what I had done. And so we got a hold of Dorsey. Dorsey comes. By this, he's, he's an old retired plumber. And he's laying up under the sink. And I'm trying to help. Hand tools. Whatever. And finally, little Dorsey comes up out from under the sink. And he says, Brother Cop. says, I'll tell you what. I won't do no preaching. You don't do no plumbing. So whenever I try any handyman kind of stuff like this, I mean, to this day, Vicki will say, would Dorsey want you doing this? <laughs> and I know exactly what she's meaning, you know. It, it, is, it is so great to be back. And I shared in the first service, uh, hopefully some of you got to greet Pastor Runyon. He was able to be here in the back. I don't see him in this service. But uh, this, is, this is a time of celebrating and grieving all at the same time. And we... Miss Norma and David today, and I, I was so thankful to see that we were singing what really still is one of my favorite songs, I Know Whom I Have Believed, and as I've thought about David and Norma, it reminded me why that's one of my favorite songs. It has five verses, and every single verse begins with, I know not. I know not how. I know not when. I know not why. I know not. But the refrain after every single verse is... But I know whom, and I'm convinced he's able. Glory be to God. That's good news, isn't it? Well, uh, Vicki leaned over to me last night. If you were here, Brad, I don't think we knew we were each speaking. And Brad spoke kind of at the end of the great celebration dinner last night. And if you were here, uh, what, a, what a tremendous evening. And Brad just capped it off with the word. And... and uh, but it was the same word I was planning on preaching from this morning. So neither, neither one of us knew that. And so Vicki kind of leans over to me and she says, uh, uh-oh. And I said, well, you know, um, I think God can use this together. And, you know, the interesting thing is Brad kind of left off right where I think God has us picking up this morning. And the passage is what was read so beautifully for us this morning, this incredible biblical narrative of the people of God finally moving into the promised land. And as they come to the banks of the Jordan River, God miraculously parts the Jordan and the promised land that they've been heading into for generations is right there. And they march across on dry ground and they march up to the promised land. And if I was there, I would be very tempted to just keep on going. I mean, look at this. We're now on we're in Canaan. I mean, we're on the right side of the river and I would be tempted to keep going. And yet the word of God says God spoke. And he says, hold up, people. He said, I want you all to turn around, look back. 
Look back down into the walls of water and the dry riverbed. And I want you to take 12 leaders from among your people. Send them back down where the Ark of the Covenant is still being held by the priests. And the Ark of the Covenant in that day, that was God's presence. God was right there in the middle of that. And he sends those leaders to go back down, bend on their knees right at the Ark, lift up a stone, put it on their shoulder, come back up and build an altar before we go anywhere. And that biblical, that biblical narrative, that metaphor, that picture that Brad, again, just described so beautifully for us last night, has been a narrative, a picture, a symbol that's been important to this local congregation since before I came, and certainly as a part of our 13 years together, and certainly since then. In the early days of our being here, and you heard some of this story if you were here last night, Tom Goble, the pastor just before me, had led the congregation in moving from the University Avenue property where there was just not enough space for the growing congregation, even though they had just maximized all the space. Miraculously, they found this land, built this property, moved here in 1983. Dr. Goble was elected district superintendent, left in 1987. We came in 1987. And just within the first couple of years we were here, we invited Dr. Goble back. And the people that were here at the time when you came in that day, we handed you a rock. And a part of the liturgy of the day was for each one of you to bring the rock, pile it right on this very communion table. And together we built this altar of rocks. And then Dr. Goble and I had the privilege of burning the mortgage on that property that seemed so out of reach. It was God's miracle. And we burnt the mortgage and let the ashes fall over the rocks. Well, then when we had the opportunity, another God's miracle, we called it God's miracle, our moment to buy the campus up the hill. We built another altar. Some of you remember, you got another rock. We took the rocks. We had a great dinner, a great feast, and we put the rocks on the altar. We celebrated God's doing something miraculous again. Let's make sure we look back and see his faithful hand before we start moving forward in something that is really way bigger than we are. And we built an altar. And then 25 years ago, we gathered together for a 75th anniversary. When I got the email from Pastor Runyon saying, we invite you to the 100th, it's like, I was there for the 75th. It's like, no wonder my eyes can't see that clock. I'm an old pastor now. But it, yeah, yeah. I know, that just means you're all old too, doesn't it? That's right. But we did the same thing. This metaphor, this picture of gathering, stopping, pausing, looking back, building the altar, celebrating. We did that 25 years ago for the 75th. And so we do it again last night and today. We gather back at the altar again. And two things happen when we do that. It has across the years and it continues to. Two things happen. By the way, I had somebody ask me this morning... Pastor Dan, you were here when they had God's Miracle Hour moment, right? And I said, yeah, wow, what a time. I mean, it's just, it was so hard and so rich all at the same time. And then they said, well, what do you think about us selling that building? And I said, you know, I, I had the same conversation with Pastor Scott. Uh, I came and we were here and having coffee and I'd heard some about the possibilities. And Scott says, Pastor Dan, I know, man, you were a part of that God's Miracle Hour moment thing. And you raised the money and built this building and... 
He says, how would you feel if we were thinking about selling it? And I said, Pastor Scott, I said, you know, it was a miracle that we were able to buy that building. It's like $58 a square foot when we bought it or something like that. And I said, and it's, it's served the congregation these years. But I said, honestly, if you can get as much money for it as it sounds like you might be able to get, we bought that. And it was a miracle for today, not just for the last number of years. And I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> Glory be to God. And such an incredible partner up the hill, too. Glory be to God. Another God's miracle. And we, the congregation, along the years, have seized the moment. So as we gather at the altar, we do celebrate stories like that. You know, the hundred years of being together. And so much of that we shared last evening. I think a couple other things I would just add to last evening that, uh, that, that were a part of our living out what it meant to be the body of Christ, what it meant to be in the words of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, what it meant to be compelled by the love of Jesus. That's really what this is all about. What it meant to be compelled by the love of Jesus. And one of those pieces was um, we were at University Avenue for 68 years. And then we couldn't, we couldn't any longer grow at that location, so God provided this miracle. We bought this, built this, sold that to a church. And another great congregation moved into that community and had years of wonderful service, ministry, kingdom presence, transformational presence in that community. But there came a time where that corner locked-in facility could no longer serve that congregation. So now that congregation is selling that facility. So there's a fledgling beginning of a church, the Nazarene, in the Mid-City area. And being compelled by the love of Christ, our congregation partners with the first church congregation, which planted this congregation a hundred years ago in the first place, and partnered with the Southern California District to repurchase the University Avenue property. And now the Mid-City Church of the Nazarene is flourishing in the University Avenue property. Compelled by the love of Christ. Another of God's miracles. And by the way, my partner, Norm Shoemaker, pastor at San Diego First Church, is here this morning. Norm and I pastored Norm at First Church, me here, for a number of those years together. And just um, took on San Diego as kind of our parish together. Working with the old University Avenue property, we would have lunch, same day, same time, same table, once a month and share praying and storytelling and accountability for people that went between the congregations. You know what I mean? (laughs) Wonderful mentor, pastor, friend. I think another piece is the, the preschool that we started. You know, we did that in a time where it was not a wise thing to do. There were so many things against it, but it just seemed like God was compelling us as an expression of love through our campus that sat empty during the week. Uh, the days, compelling us to offer this as another expression of love to our community and to hear across the years the impact that that has had as an expression of love to the community. It was never intended to make money. It was never intended to necessarily have people come into the church. It was an expression of love. And if God can use that to somehow bring blessing to his congregation or bring people into the life of the kingdom, um, Another God's miracle. So we celebrate a hundred years. 
right here, this congregation. But let me, let me just talk about a couple of the things that we celebrate as, with the, as we're at the altar. And before we move on, we really look back. And part of that is I just need to say to you, thank you, University Avenue, Mission Valley, Mission Church, for your investment in not just being a local congregation, but being a global congregation. I wish I could let you know every time I run into people in different parts of my work now. My work has me working uh, with the church and that denominational headquarters. We have about 2 million members around the world in 160 nations. Core values for the denomination would be the message of Scripture. It would be the um, discipling of believers into holiness. It would be the um, access to education. Those are some of the core values from the very beginning. And those now are being expressed all over the world. And so part of my role in working with the denomination is on the education side, where, like Point Loma, we have 52 colleges, universities, seminaries, Bible colleges around the world. And I have the privilege of working with the global church. How do we support these and how do we continue to advance them in the training of kingdom leaders, pastors and laity? And so now as I travel around the world and work with these schools and these these people, I meet people that were a part of Mission Valley. Everywhere I go, I just got a Facebook from a retired pastor that's a friend of mine. He's now a part of a church on the East Coast. And he says, Pastor Dan, I just wanted you to know, we just hired a new staff member. And she gave a wonderful testimony about the Mission Valley Church nurturing her and discipling her into what she's doing today. And now she's a part of our church here in Virginia. And then he says, weren't you a part of the Mission Valley Church way back? And I said, yeah, glory be to God. We're still doing good work. And, but I, I run into those stories literally all around the world. Uh, I was at Africa Nazarene University. Some of you will remember we did a work and witness trip to Africa Nazarene University back in 1991 when it was just a fledgling beginning of a, a campus outside of Nairobi, Kenya. I've been there a number of times, and I was just there a year ago, and I spoke at their graduation. They had 941 graduates. I wish, you, I wish you could have all been with me, because I am there, and I'm seeing the plaque. Mission Valley Church of the Nazarene, 1991, and 31 names on the plaque. Some of your names. Some gone on to heaven. Some God sent. They equipped them here and sent them all over the place. And as I looked at those 941 graduates, African Nazarene University, and then heard a third of them are getting their degree in education and going to become teachers in schools all across Africa. You're a part of that. Papua New Guinea. We had a work and witness trip to Papua New Guinea. There's a hospital there. There's a nursing school there. There's a Bible college there. There's a... Again, a teacher training college there. And you were a part of that. You continue to be a part of that. Dr. Bill and Marsha McCoy, a part of this congregation during their college years, have been longtime doctors, nurses there at Papua New Guinea Hospital in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. And now they have the nurses training school, the Bible college, and the teacher training school that work together. So that whenever they train nurses to go into the highlands and start clinics, they're also prepared to disciple people and help plant churches. Or if they're teachers and they go into the highlands and they begin child development centers or schools, 
They're also prepared to disciple people and plant churches. I was just not too long ago in meetings in Budapest, Hungary with European Nazarene College and you, Mission Valley, Mission Church, had gotten connected with John Moore, who oversaw the work in Eastern Western Europe. And John was talking about the impact that you have had in praying and supporting his work. And now he's in Australia, New Zealand, and you have that continued relationship. And when I was at European Nazarene College, we gathered together 70 leaders from Eastern Western Europe that work with European Nazarene College. And this is your story. I'm sitting there in the room with 70 people from Eastern Western Europe that help train leaders in the Nazarene College all across 17 centers across Eastern Western Europe. And hear this. I sit in their board meeting. And in their board meeting, they have representatives from each of those nations. This is your work. And so as I'm sitting at the table, I'm getting acquainted with people. And sitting across from me is Svetlana. Svetlana works with the center in the Ukraine. Now, this is a boardroom, tables and chairs. Anybody could have chosen to sit anywhere at that table. But sitting right next to Svetlana is Alex. And come to find out, Alex works with the center in where? Moscow, Russia. Here you have Ukrainian leadership, Russian leadership. While the two nations are at war, kingdom people are sitting at the table, choosing to sit side by side. And we are praying together, thinking together about what it means to raise up kingdom leaders, leaders of peace, peace leaders of provision, for a place like Ukraine and Russia and East and West. You're a part of that. That's the church. Some of you have been there, actually visited, and many of you have been praying and giving. I leave in the morning for Bangladesh, India, and Sri Lanka. Bangladesh, we will have, next Saturday, 100 graduates from the Bible College. South Asian Nazarene Bible College services India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, and Nepal. You stop and think about the long history of tribal conflict and border conflicts, and yet these leaders sit down at a table together from each of those nations and dream and pray together, how do we build kingdom leaders? You're a part of that. And while we're in Bangladesh, we're taking leaders from all over the world, including Dr. Bob Brower, the president here at Point Loma, We've got a half a dozen leaders coming together to sit with the Bangladesh leaders. Why? Because Bangladesh, Church of the Nazarene, one of the fastest growing areas in our denomination, planting churches, and as they plant a church, they're establishing a child development center, offering education in the villages as they plant churches. The children are becoming educated. They're having access to education. So now Bangladesh says to our office, education office, we would like to start Bangladesh Nazarene University. So next week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Bob Brower, and we've got others from different parts of the world. Our newest university is actually in Swaziland. Dr. Winnie Ngwetha. I've been working on that. Ngwetha. Winnie Ngwetha. I'm working on it. Winnie will be there. She's been the one to help put together Southern, Af- Southern African Nazarene University in Swaziland. So we will have, sitting in Bangladesh, people from NTC Manchester, people from the Eurasia region, people from Point Loma, people from Kansas City, sitting together and dreaming and praying about the potential of a Bangladesh Nazarene University. You're a part of that. 
And let me just add another piece. When I came to this church, I was 31 years old. I had a total of four years pastoral leader, senior pastoral ministry experience. I've been asked now to help the denomination, essentially, in training pastors. Who trained me to do that? You did. You did. So wherever I go and whenever I have opportunity to sit down with leaders around the world and be asked by the church to help think about how we train pastors and just resource that effort, I'm standing on your shoulders as you invested in us for over 13 years. And from my own personal assessment with what you had to work with, I think you did a pretty good job. <laughs> and then, of course, finally, we reflect on what this all means as with the altar for the church here, the congregation, but also the global kingdom work. God is redeeming his creation around the world, and you're a part of that. But I think also we bring our own stories. I look, you know, I look around the room and I'm just flooded with stories. Randy came up to me this morning, handed me a picture of when I baptized him. And it was right when I first came, had an old wooden baptistry that somebody had made out of wood and metal and plastic liner. And we just, you'd, I mean, it took like 46 men to move it into the corner over here and filled it with water. And so not long after we baptized Randy... Al, who was the custodian then, said, let me see, I, I hear these, these fiberglass portable, two men can lift it up, put it on the platform and fill it with water. And pastor, you stand outside, you don't even get wet, and you just dip them and bring them up, and they're baptized. And so I said, Al, you go ahead, find something that you think will work. And he said, well, if I do, I've never been baptized, I want to be the first one baptized. So we did. Al was the custodian, he filled it with water, got it all ready. He steps into it, and the first thing he looks at me, he says, it's too cold. So, I mean, he's learning right away. Well, the other thing that happened was, you get into this thing, and you lay, it's basically this little platform you sit on, you put your feet down, and then you're supposed to lay him back down to that platform. We hadn't put enough water in it. And so Al had a big old mane of hair that just went down his shoulders. And I took Al, and I laid him down, and my hand hit that platform over the mic, and he goes, bang! Like that. You know, people thought I'd knocked him out right there. But I bring him up, and he's only wet, like, from here back. So he looks up over the edge of the baptism, and, oh, this is dry hair, and it's, like, wet from... So I take him back down. So everybody that we baptized that day got both immersed and sprinkled. Because I, I took him, and I laid him down, and I take water and do this to him. Get him totally wet, and then bring him up. But, but people like Al or, or Randy, I mean, even thinking to bring a picture and say, Pastor Dan, not long after you came, I had somebody else bring me a picture of baptism last night and somebody else brought me a picture of weddings or baby dedications. The stories. And I, all I'm saying is, as we're at the altar for these moments, allow the Lord to stir up that story that is your story in relationship to Him, in relation to this congregation, and wherever God has planted you now, maybe you're visiting today, wherever it is God has planted you, how this story kind of weaves together. And part of what is woven together is this, we really do find that in the, in the essence of what this congregation has been, it's been 
a people of God compelled by the love of Christ. Tom Goble was the one that invited me to finally come and work with him here. Leon Weiss actually interviewed us, and the church board voted to have us come as youth pastor, working with youth in college ministries back in 1978. Then Leon says, as he's taking us to the airport, you just need to know before you go that I, I may be leaving, um, and I just want you to know, but don't tell anybody. And so pretty soon we find out he is leaving. Holland Whittington, who was a church board secretary, calls us, says, our pastor's leaving. We'd still like you to come be our youth pastor. And we said, well, no, you wait till you get a, a senior pastor. Then if they want to talk to us, have them come talk to us. And so after a little while, I get this call from Tom Goble. I never heard of Tom Goble. I get this call from Tom Goble, and Tom says, this is Dan Kopp? And I said, yeah, this is Tom Goble. I've just been elected. I'm going to be the new pastor at the University Avenue Church. And it's my understanding they'd like you to be their youth pastor. And I said, well, yeah, but we really wanted to wait and talk, talk to you. And he says, you know, he says, I don't know you at all. But he says, I know Vicki and her family because we pastor together here in Southern California. I really like Vicki. So, okay, you come and be our youth pastor. <laughs> so he always gave me a hard time about what it meant for me to get my first job in pastoral ministry with my wife, Vicki. I missed Tom this weekend. It's been good to see Charlene. Jeff was in our college group when we first started with Tom and Charlene. Jeanette was in the youth group. Those are, well, I see others. You know, Jerry and Susan Goodwin were a part of the college group. And now David and Megan are at seminary. Just saw Sarah Jones at seminary the other day and promised to give the Jones family hugs from Sarah. I mean, that's, that's the Mission Valley story, isn't it? David and Sylvia Potter part of that college group, and now serving, as I said, in Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea and training pastors. Deanna McCluskey. Deanna was 10 years old when we came into the life of this congregation. Deanna is now a graduate of Nazarene Theological Seminary, married to Ben Hayden, pastoring the Southwood Church there in Kansas City area. And Deanna, who was 10 years old, a child in ministry while we were here, and then went on to college and seminary, she is now mentoring our daughter, Mackenzie, who is leading worship in the church where Deanna pastors. I mean, that's the story, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's my story, but it's your story. That's Deanna's story. That's the Jones family story, the Goodwin family story, the Goble family story. Alan and Stephanie Cranbill were here the first service. What an incredible miracle story. And now they're back in San Diego and part of a ministry in Ocean Beach and Stephanie is working in the math department at Point Loma. Compelled by the love of Christ. Let me just say again, I've seen that over and over in this congregation. If somebody asks me, you know, what's so special about University Avenue, Mission Valley, Mission Church? I go back to this passage in Corinthians. There's a way in which the people have expressed, lived out what it means to be compelled by the love of Christ. I watched Jim and Irene Huffman and John and Jean Cremo and others look specifically for new young sailor families coming into San Diego. They were retired uh, sailors, commanders, I think, in the Navy. And boy, they looked for those young sailors. I saw Jim and Irene become friends with Kim and Mike Stroud, young sailors way back then. Then we were visiting within the last couple of years, and Mike came up to me and he says, Pastor Dan, would you like to go see Jim? Irene's gone. 
But Jim's in a care facility, and I go visit him. Would you like to go see him? I said, Mike, I'd love to. So Monday morning, I met him. We went in to see Jim Huffman. The same Jim Huffman and Irene who had cared for a young Mike and Kim, and now Mike's retired Navy. And as I walk in, here's Jim. And Mike Stroud, compelled by the love of Christ, is feeding Jim Huffman. And I thought, this is the Mission Valley, Mission University Avenue Church, I know. So I guess as we gather for the altar at Remembering, I would just remind us that it is wonderful to remember, and not just to hear people like me or even just folks last night, to kind of recite things, but for you to spend time at the altar remembering the story, your story, the unfolding of God's story in and through you. And then just let me remind us in closing, being at the altar, looking back is never enough. It's always for one reason, and that is to see God's hand at work, celebrate what God has done, and they're renewing our commitment to that same God who has desire and designs for the future that we want to be faithful to steward. God's not done yet. This church has had a very profound first hundred years, but the best days are still ahead. God's miracle still continues. So as we leave the altar this morning, I'm reminded that we, in a sense, leave with a renewed commitment to steward the vision that God has for the future. In the work around the world, in the people you're sitting with, in the neighborhoods in which we live. And so I'm reminded again in closing the words of Paul. We renew ourselves in such a way that Christ's love will be compelling us. No longer looking at anyone from a worldly point of view. Generationally. Did I tell you when we left this church after our girls were five months old, 23 months old, and now they're 12, 13, we leave? First time they'd ever left the church. We're looking for a church in Arizona. We let them decide. They finally tell us, we'd like to go to the Tempe Church of the Nazarene. And we asked them, why would you like to go to the Tempe Church? And they said, hear this, my sisters and brothers, they said, because the senior adults in that church love us like the senior adults at the Mission Valley Church. Just the way they welcomed us, hugged us, asked us our names, what year are we in school, where are you going to go to school? And I thought, you know, too often in our society and even in our church, we draw these worldly barriers like ages or socioeconomics or cultures or languages or whatever. And my daughters, in that experience, just broke one of the barriers in my mind. I thought they were looking for a really rocking band and a great youth pastor. And all, and all that was powerful in that church. But what they really chose that church for was those relationships. If you are here last night, you heard that from Brad. Compelled by the love of Christ. Those people in that church were compelled by the love of Jesus. And my daughters responded to it here and in the life of that church. They didn't look down on them because they were little teenagers. And my daughters didn't look down on the senior adults because they had such powerful experience in relationship with senior adults as family. Loving on them. Raising them. 
If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Hear this. God gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. As we go away from this altar, we go as, in the words of Paul, words of Scripture, Christ's ambassadors, God's living his redemptive life through us. May we walk away from the altar. Well, Terry there. You may not be ready to walk. Terry you may not be ready to walk away yet. But as we walk away, renewed to live out what it means to be compelled by the love of Christ, his ambassadors into the next hundred years. God bless you.